to Farmer's Kitchen Podcast. I'm Poonam Verma. We want to know what you're serving for the Coronation Buffet. That's what we asked you. And we got some really delicious answers. We also meet culinary experts Chef Yannick and Chef Casti. He's from the Hilton on the Palm. Nada Badran from Wonder with Nada is giving us the latest food news. She's been out and about around town. We talked to Dan from Carnistore about a recent study that came out that said plant-based diets are less healthy than eggs, milk and meat. What do you think about that? And Tiffany's been doing her research for the latest edition of Nourish magazine in Italy, tasting cheese and pasta. She has a hard life. Make sure you tune into Farmer's Kitchen every Friday from 2 to 5 p.m. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Tomorrow is the coronation of King Charles and Queen Camilla, if you didn't know. I want to know, what would you put on the table for the coronation buffet? Now, I know everyone's from different countries, but some of the typical British things that we grew up with are things like volivants people are probably thinking, what is that? It's like a pastry with like stuffing in it. Or scones, which, you know, is served as afternoon tea. A lot of people know that here. Things like prawn cocktails, mini sausages. What would you put on the buffet? I want to know. Now, my friend has invited me to hers tomorrow to watch the coronation. And I got a message from her today. Just take a listen to this. I can't find scones anywhere. All clotted cream. The whole of Dubai has gone coronation crazy. <laughs> Yeah, that's my friend Supriya and she's on a mission. But she did uh, send me a message just now and said everything has been sorted. She has found some scones. So if you're on a mission trying to find some stuff for the coronation, any dishes, any food uh, for tomorrow to celebrate, let me know. Maybe we can all do a scavenger hunt together, help each other and find whatever you're looking for. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Now, my next guest is a member of the exclusive circle of the greatest chefs in the world. He has a three Michelin stars and is currently here back in Dubai for a special dining experience at Stay at the one and only On The Palm, which I completely forgot happened last night and I was invited to and I'm gutted I missed it. Welcome back again, Chef Yannick Alino. How are you? I'm super well, and you. Thank you to to talk with me. Thank you so much. Anytime. You're not going to remember this, but about 13 years ago, I filmed with you for my TV show at Stay, and we were making pastries together, and I actually found the video and posted it on Instagram, and I was like, they were good memories, but you won't remember that. <laughs> I'll have to send it to you. How's everything in Dubai? How long are you here for? Um, I'm okay. I, I took a few kilos after uh, 10 years, you know. <laughs> oh, uh, that's good. I'm losing weight too. So at least we're getting thinner as we get older. <laughs> so um, no, I... Everything's good. Everything's good. We, yesterday we had a fantastic night. Yeah. The restaurant was full and tonight again. So you have an, another chance to come tonight. I know. I think I... Another... Yeah, I think I need to because I got a call saying, are you coming? I was like, oh my goodness. I completely yeah. forgot and I'm gutted. How did it go? What was the experience like? So all the people yesterday, they were super smiley. So I think they, they spent very good time. Yeah. And uh, no, the experience, you know, we, we, we bought new dishes for the new menu and we we, we did uh, uh, fantastic meals uh, with uh, sweetbread farce and uh, we did a fantastic uh, dover sole with uh, Conte roast on the, on, on the surface and uh, you have... Uh, Fantastic um, yellow uh, yellow wine sauce, uh, a surf and turf. I do a surf and turf in, with wagyu beef, with slice, very small slices with uh, yeah. mushrooming. So it's like a millefeuille. Yeah. And the tail of blue lobsters and bearnaise sauce made but with uh, sesame oil. Um, it's, it is a very cool experience. And uh, for the dessert, I, I, I work on the camel milk and honey oh. from, from the region. Nice. And with pollen of flour, and uh, it's crazy. No, no, I'm happy to be here. Um, I read that modern cuisine is a culinary movement started by you in 2013. So what's your definition of modern cuisine when it comes to French food? Because there's still a traditional focus in it. Yes, um, modern cuisine, of course, is a movement. I, 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 I start a few years ago. Uh, it's based on your new way of making sauces. You know, bl- blending sauces in France is very important, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, I, I decided to recreate a new vocabulary of sauces because if you want to move forward in the future, 
You're absolute on that. Um, so it's like you when you you need to to write an article, you need some verb, right? Yeah. And the sauce is the verb of the French cuisine. So with the vocabulary, you can use it in the past, now or in the future. So this is uh, why I try to do with my sauces. And uh, because the nature gives you the best product, you know, so you can change it. And the unique thing to change is the sauces. That's, that's the thing I did. But it's crazy because the sauce, you can use it for starters, mm. salad, you know, uh, dishes, but also chocolate area and pastry. So uh, because when you do modern sauce, you can, you can, you can use it to do a fantastic dessert with, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, a fantastic ganache, new ganache without milk, without sugar and things like that. So that's, uh, uh, that's fantastic. We, we have a new brand of chocolate. It's called Aleno et Rivoire in Paris. Mm-hmm. I do the chocolate with new sauces. So it means it's extraction of food. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we, we blend with uh, chocolate, but we don't use any sugar. Finish. Oh, good. No sugar. So, so you see, this is the thing with French food. There's a lot of cream. There's a lot of sugar. Do you make it healthy or no. do you, is it impossible? Uh, it is possible. Oh. Now it is possible because we make new techniques. We can, we can bring, we bring uh, the, the food in that moment. You know, we need to take care of us. We need to take care of the nature. We need to take care of uh, the stuff. So it, it, we, we work on that direction. So I don't use any gram of sugar in my chocolateria. Mm. It's crazy. Mm. What about um, fermentation? Because that's something that you like to focus on too. Yes, uh, more than fermentation, I, I used to, to work on, um, say that, preservation. Mm. You know, and um, fermentation is just one pillar of preservation, but you can preserve in different way. And I think this is also an avenir for the ecology to preserve what the nature gives you in the moment, you know? Yeah. Instead, take a plane to bring back, blah, blah, blah. So when you have the strawberries go, you have to think about the preservation. So I also made a new way of making coffee without sugar. Without so today sugar. I can preserve food without sugar. So many restaurants um, have come and gone in the UAE and across the world, especially after COVID. Um, and you've been around with Stay for so many years. You know, I came here 16 years ago and I remember meeting you. Mm. What do you think has made Stay stay for so long? Excuse the pun. What do you think the secret is to its success? We are lucky to be under the brand of one and only. Yeah. It's a very strong luxury brand, a very uh, professional brand. And they used to do uh, luxury and high uh, quality things so many times. I have the right partner. I think I can find better because uh, it's stable also, but we, we, we grow together, mm. you know, since that time. We, the hotel grow with me and I grow with the hotel. So it means um, uh, today we are ready for the future also. Yeah, you have to look to the future. I mean, everyone, especially chefs, are looking at sustainability, uh, vegan food, vegetarian food, alternative to sugar, like you're saying. Is it something that's predominantly in your head to make food healthier, even though it's French food? Uh, I, I don't use any, any sugar anymore. Sugar can bring you some cancer. So it's very important to see. But more than vegetarian, I think we have to be flexitarian. Especially in Dubai, you have multicultural things, you know. So you have uh, multi-religion, multi allergies like you know the world turn in that direction yeah. so we are ready to host people in that in that way you know mm. what you know for me the real luxe is what you need we have and we can provide for you mm. you've come back and forth to dubai so many times over the years what is your take on how the food scene has changed from probably the last time we met 13 years ago what have you noticed uh it's crazy yeah. first of all uh the tone grows so fast yeah uh but I think we have to be happy to see that level of quality in town, you know. They all uh, take care about what they do. Uh, the service is good. Uh, so, no, it, it's, it's interesting because for the foodies, it's also a city where you can come and have so many diversity. I know. And, and uh, that's why Michelin came, you know. I think today the... the, the, the and I can't, I can't wait the 23 because Michelin coming out, you know, and to see what will be happen with the new, because when Michelin is here, 
is like the professor in the school, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you have good points or not. <laughs> you're going you're to put so back on those two kilos being in Dubai when you go out to these restaurants here because there's just too yes. many to choose from. Yes, but it's fantastic. No, no, it's, it, it became, you know, Dubai became uh, the... I, I say that since the beginning I'm here, you know. I really feel that Dubai became the hub of the world. Wow. And um, if you look in the future, France was like this in the past. It was the middle of Europe. Yeah. And France enriched uh, the knowledge of food mm. because foreigners. And I think I will be very curious to see in one, two, three generations of chefs, you know, yeah. born here and what they will become. And I think that t- tomorrow, maybe, we will be talking about Dubai food. As French food, true, you know what I mean. True, true. Yes. So I think it will be with the mix of Japanese, of Indian, Arabic, mm. French things like that. I think a new movement will come one day, of course, mm. because the mix of things uh, always makes something nice. Mm. Mm. So this is my prevision, like Nostradamus. <laughs> so how? Finally, how do you, as one of the greatest chefs in the world, stay at the top of your game and constantly be inspired? What keeps you going? You have to create and be in advance. This is, this is the key. Mm-hmm. You, you have to think differently the things, you know. And since, my, since I'm working on, we know now we have to respect the, really closely the nature and find new technologies, find new way of making things to preserve. All right. Well, Chef Yannick, I'm going to let you carry on because I know you have another busy day and busy night tonight. Um, Thanks to you. Oh, and I just we say, are waiting tonight. <laughs> you know, you know what? I, I need to talk to the PR lady and, and sort this out because I was lying on my bed and she went, are you coming? And I went, oh, my goodness. So hopefully I will see you tonight and I wish you all the best. And um, definitely next time you're here, we'll have to get you back in the studio. OK. OK. With pleasure. I will be, be, I will be, I will be back. Sorry. Uh, the 10th. 23 of May. Oh, okay. Then I'll see you then. (laughs) Yes. All right, Chef. Merci beaucoup. Merci. Have a nice day. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. With me now is the executive chef of one of the biggest hotel openings of last year, which was the Hilton Dubai Palm Jumeirah. And when it opened, uh, me and Helen actually did the show from there and we were fed very well. Um, there's, I don't know if it was a dessert. I'm trying to find out, remember what it was, but it was amazing. Maybe he can help me. But aside from his expertise, he's also very passionate when it comes to sustainability. Welcome to the show, Chef Kazdi Tahari. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Punam. I'm trying to figure out your name. Where are you from? Oh, my my name is Kasi Dahari. Actually, I'm from Malaysia. I thought so. I had a <laughs> feeling. There was like kind of, I don't know, tree. Indian, Asian. What was it? Oh, we quite the same in Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I have a really good auntie who grew up in Malaysia and she's ah. amazing. Like she's Indian, Punjabi. Okay. But she spent her, most of her childhood in Malaysia. And I understood a lot of the country from her side, actually. All right, all right, all right. We have very multicultural. Uh, yes, yes. And a lot of food. It's a food heavens in part of the the world there, and you know. And nice people. Yes, yes, we are nice people. You've always got like <laughs> smiley faces, that's what I find. Yeah, thank so, you. So, um, let's talk about this. You manage, if I'm correct, 170 people, yep. 14 kitchens, yep. and 10 browned outlets. Yes, Now, yes. we all have 24 hours in a day. How, how many do you have? Because <laughs> this is mind-blowing right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the most important thing as a chef uh, handling one of the biggest uh, Hilton uh, in UAE you have to have very structures how you manage your people. And the way that I organize, uh, I always believe in terms of empowerment to the, the head chef that I have. So they feel that, that they have correct, correct. responsibility. Yes, yes, yes. From there, I work uh, downward how they, they, they manage their team. So I always believe uh, every chef, every individual that, that work in the kitchen has to have passionate, then I had to have creativities. Mm. So as a chef, I always give them empowerment, give them a way them to, to show their skill, to show their talents. And also, I always advise and develop them to nurture the young talent we have now. But as an executive chef, like, are you still in the kitchen cooking or are you mainly overseeing everybody else now do this? Well, my daily job basically overseeing. But once a while when I have a VIP event, when I have some sort of like a promotion, I always go to the kitchen because 
the blood is still cooking. <laughs> but now, yes, I still need to 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 throw my sweat and pan to the pan cooking. That's why, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. You can't you can't let that go. Can't, can't, can't. Yeah, yeah. Although I just administrator of the whole complex of kitchen, but I still have passion to cook. So tell us about what kind of preparations took place for the opening of the Hilton last year. Like how much work went into it for you and your team members? Wow, I would say. Uh, Basically, the pre-opening will took us at least a year before we open. Wow. Okay, I came to the hotel. Basically, I was in Hilton Ras Al Khaimah. The company transferred me to open the hotel. Uh, then a year from that time, I have to start from the base. When mm-hmm. I come in, the hotel still on the construction side, still pipe and whatever. Although the hotel is ready, but still a lot of work to do. So from that, I have to build up one by one, piece by piece, to put like a, a puzzle, you know, yeah. how to create each kitchen. So there is always a progress uh, because honestly, with 14 kitchen I have, so I have to structure which kitchen I have to open first. Wow, which menu st- st- a lot, yeah, 14 kitchens. 14 kitchens. Do you sleep well at night? Because I'm getting stressed <laughs> thinking about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to manage your mindset as well. Otherwise, I feel like you've got quite a good mindset. I don't know why. You seem to be quite a calm chef but yes. you're out of the kitchen right now so yeah. don't know <laughs> do you get stressed as a, as a chef like? uh, you have to be calm sometimes I mm. mean problem is always there when we talk about food Monam, uh, food is very subjective okay we, we, we although I cook same pasta but the guests will taste different thing yeah so challenge and complaint is always there so if you put too deep then you cannot have nice sleep. Mm. So you have to take it a challenge and you have to talk how to manage it. So that's why the mindset as a chef is very, very, very important. So I've been to the Hilton a few times. Tell yeah. us, uh, tell everybody who hasn't, what kind of um, F&B outlets are there, what kind of foods they can try? All right. So in, in, in Hilton, Palm Jumeirah, we have uh, 10 brand restaurants. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have uh, basically claw, barbecue. Yeah. All right. Basically, it's all American barbecue kind of dishes. Then we have Magadigan uh, at the pump. Okay, uh, Everyone knows Magadigan. Okay. Yes. <laughs> then we have Barfly by Buddha Bar. Yeah. Okay, basically it's more towards uh, Japanese, Asian influence but I also put some a bit of Malaysian touch there. What okay. is a Malaysian touch? What's the typical traditional Malaysian uh, food? Malaysian touch, we, we use a lot of uh, fresh spices. Instead of Indian, use a lot of dried spices. Dried but, spices? Yeah, but we use fresh spices like a, like a Thai. Okay. But more moderate. Is, is, yeah, I was going to say, because Thai food is extremely spicy. Yes, yes, like, yes. I'm Indian, I can't even cope with yes, it. Yes, is a Malaysian yes. similar to Indian spicy levels or it's in the middle? Bit, in the middle, not, mm. too, not too spicy. Okay. But we, we combine our spices. So the taste is quite different, yeah. you know. And, and, and we cook a lot with charcoal, the grill, so the flavour is there. Nice. Yeah. So then we have our fly, then we have these uh, Trader Vicks. Yes, I know okay, Trader Vicks. And we have one of the biggest uh, Chinese oven that we can roast the dark and it's nice, okay? And then we have Tahitian Village also by Trudevix. Yeah. Then we have John the Grocer. I think I, everyone knows. I was, know I the was there last weekend. Yeah, that yeah. one, yeah. Yeah, John the Grocer's there. And then, then what else we have? we have? See, there's so many you can't even remember. Oh, yeah, yeah sometimes I'm, I'm <laughs> lost fine. in the building as no, well. It's, it's yeah, on his yeah. phone. But one thing that, you know, it was interesting. You were awarded um, a Dubai Green Star for innovation and sustainability. So how do you apply these aspects in all of your kitchens? Yes, yes, correct. In two years ago, last year, I won this award. Well, when I started my career in, in, in UAE, basically, I was from Raqqa Salkaima when I came mm. uh, for three and a half years, or nearly four years ago. I just realized that uh, in Raqqa, my hotel is near to the sea, yeah. near to the fish market. But why we still import the fish from Vietnam? I don't understand why. So I make the proposal to my management and for the hotel. So from there, we start this sustainable project within Hilton. Mm. That's why Fresh on the Table come in and and bring... uh, Fresh on the Table is the company that works together with us Mm. in Hilton to consolidate all the local suppliers. I agree. That's beautiful because... Honestly, I don't know when I was in Rock. There is a farm that goes to Jebel Jais that produce a lot always, of... It always tastes better because it hasn't been transported. Correct, it hasn't correct, been frozen. Correct, correct. And it's cheaper. Correct. It's fresh. 
That's why in my hotel now, basically Hitam Dubai Pan Jumeirah, and I believe other hotel Hitam as well, we use a lot of local product. Mm. I, I use nearly 700 ton of vegetables locally. Wow. Tomatoes, chilies, uh, fresh salad, everything is locally. Yeah. So I believe this can support the local economies and also... And the, the country will thrive more. Absolutely. No, yeah. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Um, and aside from, obviously, uh, your expertise in the kitchen and managing all your staff, I know you love mentoring. So if there's any young chefs out there listening, what advice would you give them that you wish you had, someone had given you when you were younger? Yeah, I, I would believe to be a, a good chef, for example, right? an inspiring young chef, what they need in their self, basically, is the passion. Mm. Regardless... They are coming from any countries, any region, uh, any industry whatsoever. The most important thing is their passion. One, what they want to achieve in their life. Yeah. And once they want that, they can pursue. They cannot stop in the middle. You know, although there is a traffic light or challenges they have, they have to continue. Okay. So that is always a young chef that come to interview in my kitchen. I don't care whether what background you want, as long you want to learn. You have passion, come and work with me. Okay, that's great. Thanks. Chef Kasadi Dahari, you can find him at one of the 14 kitchens at Hilton <laughs> the Palm, uh, Palm Jamira. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, thank you. And uh, next time I'm over there, I, I was there last week actually, I go quite regularly, I will come and find you. Thank you, Funam. It was a lovely day today thank to talk you. to you. Thank you very much. Bye. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. More coming up next on the UAE's number one talk radio station. The coronation, obviously, that's taking place tomorrow. It's quite a big event, obviously. I'm sure some of you are watching it. I definitely will be. And um, I want to know, what would you put on the table for a coronation buffet? And we've had loads of texts coming in. Rim says, I would put down marmalade made by Paddington. Very British. Um, we've got another text, no name, saying bit long on the table. Now that's nice. That's unusual. That's a dried meat from South Africa. Susan's given me a whole list. Uh, Volivants, prawn cocktails, cucumber sandwiches, strawberry jam, cream scones, fresh strawberries. Susan, send me the invite. I am there. And uh, Jun says garlic smashed potato and chocolate and venison pie. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. So Wonder with Nada is always out and about. She's my best travel buddy. We did go to Amman um, a few months ago and she's amazing to travel with because she's so organized, but she's so much fun. Uh, you can check her out wandering the streets at her Instagram page, Wonder with Nada. Today, she's dedicated half an hour out of her tours to me. How are you doing, my love? Fantastic. How are you? Always good to have you here. I'm very good. Now, I did see you at the Arabian Travel Market. Yep. Apart from it being crowded, how was it? <laughs> yes, it was very crowded. And I went on day one, so it was probably my mistake. Uh, but it was fantastic. I mean, I took the metro, so it was super smooth uh, in terms of transport. Uh, ticketing was also very easy. As long as you had it in advance, then you were just going to be walking in. Uh, it was really, really interesting. Very informative. They had a number of different things you could do. So it depended on what your motive was. Mm. Uh, I was going for more of a B2B um, Angle. So mm. I was there to meet with vendors, suppliers, attractions, find out what was happening, what was new. Was there anything that surprised you or anything that we can look forward to that you think is, wow, that's going to be interesting? Um, in uh, Dubai, I would say uh, there were a few new uh, attractions or providers, some new hotels you've probably heard of that have been opening up. Mm. So it was nice to actually talk to some of them and find out, you know, just what was so different about them. Yeah. Uh, safari companies, uh, you know, just desert activities that okay. are different from the usual safari. That's nice. Yeah, so I enjoyed that and attended a number of workshops where I got to learn a number of topics like uh, how we can be more sustainable in the travel sector, um, how we can empower more people who are currently working in the travel sector, but in different countries Okay. Um, that might not be have an advantage mm. so in that sense very very informative and yep just got to meet 
with a lot of people in the industry. Okay, so I saw all the pictures of you eating out a lot, like a lot. <laughs> Seriously, I don't know how you manage it. I hope you've got your stretchy pants on. Um, let's start with one called San Juan Noodles. I had a look at the pictures. It looked very simplistic, minimalistic, which I liked. But something about the food caught my eye. It, it looked very authentic to me. Yes. So I am always on this like perpetual quest for edible jackpots. And mm. I often find that the more unassuming uh, the exterior, the more likely I am to find one. So this week I did come across San Juan, which is in JLT. It's on a corner over by Cluster F, a very cozy, unpretentious restaurant with a few tables and an open view to the kitchen where you can actually see the chefs pull, uh, slap and hand stretch the noodles using nothing but a... I was about to say the slapping what? Slapping what? (laughs) Using nothing but a counter uh, top and their hands to do so. So they would do that and then toss them in boiling water. Yeah. Uh, we ordered a few stir-fried green veggies for starters, which were delicious. I had a lamb Chinese burger, which came in a bun uh, with a crisp exterior that yielded to the soft middle that was filled with Australian cumin-spiced lamb, which had been slow-cooked. Nice. Very yummy. Um, for a main, I very loudly slurped their chicken wonton noodle soup. And that actually came with skinny hand-pulled noodles. So I'm going to highlight that eating noodle soup requires practice and skill. But slurping is a good sign, I hear, when you do it in in Japan and China, isn't it? I think so. So if you make the noise, I yeah, think it is... Yeah, you're enjoying your food. Exactly. Here, and it's I was, like bad manners. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was hunched over my bowl um, with basically two uh, hands alternating between the chopsticks and the soup spoon, trying to yank the noodles out, as well as the wontons and the broth. I just use a fork. Yes. <laughs> just use a fork. <laughs> they had that option. Yes, that's the option. Um, for dessert, I actually, I also tried a new dish that they're hopefully adding to the menu, and that was an egg custard uh, macaron. And those are beige in color, and they give no hint of the lushness that is inside. Uh, the second you bite the into way, it. The way you describe this, the lushness inside. It's, I'm just enjoying this. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, it's like lava that oozes out of the macaron. And it's basically, it's sweet with a tinge of salty. Yes. Um, the place is very affordable, and portion sizes were just perfect. Highly recommend a visit. To the place yeah, it in JLT. Good. Is it is it new? It is new. I think it's just been open since March. Nice. Okay. Uh, next is Afghani food. Yes, Afghani food. So this place is called Waha or Waka. I think uh, it is an Afghani and Peshwari cuisine restaurant in Al Barsha. They also have another branch in Jumeirah. There is a saying that full bellies are the measure of true Afghan hospitality. Oh, I agree with that. (laughs) And I definitely walked away with one. (laughs) Uh, There is no better place to start than uh, with a plate of their excellent bolani. This is a non-negotiable. So bolani kachalu is an Afghan flatbread, which is stuffed with potato, stuffed with spring onions and green chilies, and it's shallow fried. So it's actually served with green chutney and a garlic mint yogurt and is a very filling appetizer. There's something like the Chinese scallion pancakes, yeah. um, but they're made in a very different way. Oh, I'm the, hungry just now. I really, actually, I am. I do apologize to anyone listening and is, of course, getting very hungry as we speak. They had a very extensive menu that had lamb, beef, and chicken dishes, and I didn't even know where to start. Luckily... A waiter did show up and they uh, actually helped steer us to what they consider are the best dishes. But better yet, they actually showed us this option, which was called the waka platter. And that had a little bit of everything. So they had the shinwari lamb and chicken tikka, kabuli beef and chicken tikka and beef kebab and the kabuli pulao. And this is Afghans or Afghanistan's uh, national dish. It is served over a mountain of glossy rice Mm. topped with plump raisins Uh, and served with naan. I was very quickly sold. Um, One thing I had read about earlier online, and yes, I do research restaurants well in advance, is that they do prepare the food fresh. So there's a little bit of a long waiting time. And it did actually take us about 45 minutes for the food to come to the table. But by then we had ordered the starters. So we had already had, you know, something to fill us up. Um, so yeah, highly recommend it. Very, very delicious. And it's just very also um, affordable okay. for the portions. So we're going to talk about after the break about somebody very mysterious by the name of Hawker Boy. 
This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Now we're with Nada from Wonder with Nada. And um, she's been visiting a lot of restaurants, telling me uh, what's going on out there in Dubai. Loads of places are always opening. It's crazy. Now one which has been quite mysterious. Now, I like this because everybody shares everything on social media, right? And I'm kind of getting bored. I feel like it's really saturated. And then this, this somebody like through the smoke and the flame comes out called Hawker Boy. Is it worth the hype? Is he worth the hype? Is he real? What's the food like? Tell me. <laughs> so my first experience actually was at a place called Splendor Fields, which is right below Hawker Boy. Uh, this is a great fuel station for your breakfast and coffee, and it's actually part of the Tom and Surge empire. Oh. So when I heard the, about Hawker Boy, I was very intrigued because I just thought if it was anything similar to this in terms of quality, this would be a great thing to discover. Yeah. So Hawker Boy actually used to have a series of these sell-out supper clubs in secret spots around Dubai. So he started as a supper. Oh, okay. Yep, exactly. Mm. And that eventually led to its permanent camp over in JLT. So it's right above Splendor Fields. So the cuisine is actually influenced by street food hawkers uh, in Singapore, Malaysia and Thailand. Uh, they've got this elaborate supper club menu that you can opt for that have either seven or nine dishes. Uh, and that must be ordered by the whole table. So hang on a minute. What's a street boy hawker? So uh, is a person who sells basically things on the go. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So in like this case, fast food. food. It's Yeah, fast food. Okay. It could be really just about anything, but it's on the go. Oh. So this is quite common in those countries. So we wanted to bring that uh, here. Um, in terms of the supper club menu, you have the seven or nine, but that must be ordered by the full or the whole table. Uh, what you otherwise can do is order from their menu a la carte. So they've got impeccable takes on classics like chicken wings that are prepared with fried cereal. What? Uh, yes. Uh, pecking style. That's something I would actually have. I can just think about it now. Right? <laughs> Which cereal would you use? I'm, I'm curious. Crunchy cornflakes, ah, the crunchy nuts. Classic as well. Yep. Yep. Uh, pecking style roast duck and their lamb ribs, which were served with spices and a mushroom le- relish. Mm. So you eat all of this and more in a dining room, which has got this canopy uh, of neon red lights that are suspended just above you. Yeah. It is so cozy, dark and charming. You kind of want to keep it a secret but like you said the word is out but is hawker boy a real person so i believe that the uh, name applies to both the restaurant and the chef behind so it who so is the chef i didn't get the chance to meet him in person when i did visit but uh, after scrolling social media i came to learn of his supper clubs and i, I know somebody who knows him oh so i need to do some investigation <laughs> And if he's listening, we need to get you on because I want to know what the mystery is all about. Yes, I I have yet to see the face. So uh, the food itself. Is he like the Banksy of Dubai cuisine? (laughs) Is that what we're calling him right now? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. We get to go and enjoy the food, but never see the artist behind the work. You know what? That's a great marketing tool. It is. I think I need to do that. I need to like revamp myself. Yeah. Okay, now um, let's go over to the food festival at Al Sakel. What's going on there? It's this weekend. So yes, uh, there are so many different events that are happening that are uh, wrapped around this Dubai restaurant week or restaurant um, sort of hall. So let me first introduce you to uh, the food festival. It's happening on May 6th and 7th at the Avenue in El Sirkal. Uh, This coincides with the closing weekend of the Dubai Food Festival. So there you're actually going to get to meet and hear from Dubai's best food entrepreneurs, chefs, food scientists, and dine at the city's favorite food stalls. So, for example, you've got classes on food photography, tablescaping, and local farming. Um, It's a weekend of talks, workshops, live performances, and eating. So come hungry, and like you said before, with expandable pants. (laughs) Stretchy (laughs) pants. Are you going to be there? Are you going to it? I wish. I unfortunately have a very busy weekend ahead. I've got a wedding tomorrow, and then uh, going to Abu Dhabi on Sunday for the Backstreet Boys concert. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Don't tell Milani. She she was, I think she's not going and she's gutted. I don't think uh, she's got any tickets. Are you going, Milani? Jensi's going. Is she? Oh, there's going to be cues. I, I don't understand what the whole, you know, hype is about them. But it's your generation. Enjoy it. Yeah, and we're going well in advance. Just, you know, like you said, because the traffic is probably going to be hectic. Yep. And parking. So it's going to uh, be a long day. Uh, but at the Cucina del Sol slash uh, El Cercal Food Festival, uh, you will definitely find a lot of different things happening. You can imagine the best 
pit masters, burger smashers, taco makers, ice cream churners, and much more. So this is part of Cucina del Sol's? Yep, oh, exactly. Nice, nice. So the food is served at 5pm onwards, but swing by earlier if you want to meet members of the community. And this is part of, the, like I said, Dubai Food Festival. So many of the stalls are going to be offering tenderum tea samples for you to try their food. Wow. I need to go there actually this weekend because I've never been to the food and I've seen your pictures and they really tantalize me, but you never invite me. So oh. I never know about them until afterwards, <laughs> Nada. Well, I'm not going to this one. I wish and then we could have gone together. <laughs> but another place you can also check out the neighborhood food hall. Okay. So this, I'm such a big food hall and food court person. So the idea that you can have Japanese Osaka style udon, mm. beef berry tacos and lamb biryani under one roof is my idea of a gold medal event. Is this the one where there's loads of flags on the on the ceiling and you're taking pictures? They do have flags, but I didn't see them everywhere. Maybe it was for a particular where, event. Where is it based? So this is in Motor City. Okay. Yep. So once you enter, you're going to going to find stalls for about 10 homegrown brands. They're all wrapped around the seating area. I did a couple of laps to get my bearings and then I started ordering. Would even suggest splitting in teams and having someone save your seats uh, while you do your hunting and gathering. Uh, almost everything is fresh and cooked to order. At most stalls, you wait anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes uh, for your food, you don't see any corners being cut. Adjusting to the, you know, ingredients that we have here, right, mm. you know, all halfway around the world um, is no easy thing. And I was very luckily with a friend visiting from Singapore, and she guided me through the menu at Chiok, which serves Singaporean specialties. We ordered a uh, greatest hits collection <laughs> of items, and I got a very quick tutorial on what sauces to dip the food into. Uh, the buffer, uh, sorry, butter calamari from um, Authentic Ceylon was excellent, as were the lamb chops also from Meatish. You know, when you're eating, do you write notes? Because you ha- they're so thorough. Are you writing notes as you're eating them? And photos. I try to compile as much information just because I feel, you know, if someone wants to know whether a place yeah. is good or not, I want to be able to give them. But then do you actually enjoy the food because you feel like you're actually studying it and noting everything down? I definitely am. I'm not... Really, for instance, posting at the same time, I'll usually do that later just so that I can actually sit down, engage in conversation and really enjoy those memorable munches. Okay, well, talking about munches, um, you know, uh, with the coronation, um, I'm not sure if you know, because obviously you didn't grow up in England. King Charles has broken an 800 year tradition with a coronation pie known as a quiche, right? Have you heard about this? Uh, Have heard of quiches but <laughs> yeah <laughs> this particular tradition not so much so his mom queen elizabeth her dish for the coronation was known as a coronation chicken which is made with like a a cream kind of curry sauce it's we have like in england you know um so um one of our colleagues here at the station um made the quiche and filmed us all it has uh, spinach in broad beans and fresh tarragon and i tried it and i hated it really it was it was bland um, it just there was no kick to it, and I don't know if King Charles and Queen Camilla have really bad taste in food or <laughs> have just never person- tried it themselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the person who made it here, I won't say, doesn't really know how to cook oh it very well. And I seriously hope they're not tuned in right but now. But he's actually a chef. That's the weird thing. So I don't know, but he, he he'll he'll hate me if I say it. But no, it's just bland, and I don't know if anyone's had that combination. Let me know. I mean, spinach, broad beans, and fresh tarragon. It really wasn't my thing. Anyway, what are you, apart from uh, this weekend, what have you got coming up that, you know, for the next week that you're going to go and check out? Well, uh, plenty of other new activities, restaurants. I have trips planned to Abu Dhabi as well. Um, I would say it's starting to get a little warmer. I don't know if you've noticed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the That's temperature, why I got my jacket off. <laughs> yeah. The temperature over the last few days has been a little over 30 degrees. Yeah. So. I'm going to try and maximize my time outside as much as possible. So all of these outdoorsy things. And then later, of course, when the summer does kick in, I'll be moving indoors like the rest of Dubai. Okay, well, call me for more food. Okay, all right. Well, have a lovely weekend and enjoy the wedding. Thank you. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. So tomorrow is the coronation of King Charles and Queen Camilla. I want to know, what would you put on the table for the coronation buffet? We've got loads of texts coming in. Anita, 
I feel you. She's saying a chicken tikka masala. Okay, Anita, that sounds great. Uh, Carrie says I would make a coronation chicken, mini sandwiches and triangles, of course. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's Eat Well, Live Well. With me now is the man who makes a mean barbecue, Dan Waynes. He's the founder of Carney Store. Uh, the last time we met was at your event where I just ate and ate and ate. Tell, every, tell everyone about these events and some of the food events that you put on because it was amazing. Yeah, sometimes we try to get people together to raise awareness around, you know, certain meats that we're doing, certain new brands that we're doing. At that point, I think we were launching uh, Traeger. Uh, which is a grill brand from the U.S. Yeah. But then, yeah, we like to invite friends, people from the industry, um, you know, media, whatnot, just to just to get some awareness around these events. So, yeah, we had you over and then we had a bunch of stations, if you remember. So good. <laughs> Honestly, it was so good because it's all freshly made right in front of you, all the meat and everything. Yeah, we like the, the live grilling thing. I mean, it, it's there's a show to it, but there's also a, a flavor and a taste, right, when you're getting... For example, a burger that's been smashed, you know, three minutes before and yeah. prepared, and then you just eat it. You get your hands messy, but you don't care, right? I mean, everyone's there. We're enjoying ourselves. And when it comes to like the food community and people like that and the chefs, do you all get along, or is there a lot of competition? How does it work? Uh, let's say we do. On the outside, we get along. I, I think there, there, there's a lot of uh, we call it uh, competition. We're co-competitors, not competitors. Wow, right? I like or, it. You know, I, I don't like the word frenemy. Some people use the word frenemies, but no, that's that's not so friendly. But yeah, no, no. I think there is a mutual um, just respect and, and admiration for people who have hustled and have made it. And, you know, of course, you know, deep down you're like, oh, I, I need to be doing better than them or, you know. What is yeah, it? you but, see a lot on social media and that kind of, you know, eggs you want and you think, oh, I'm not doing enough. And I think there is a lot more competition, but it, it's like you said, it's quite surface. It's also when you look at the statistics, uh, Coca-Cola and Pepsi would not be doing nearly as well if the other did not exist. Oh. Right, right. So, so, so when you have these either duopolies, oligopolies for for certain kind of industries, they help each other. They bring each other up. So right. you have to, you, you know, you really have to be appreciative of the fact that there are other players creating this industry and this demand for it. Right. How often do you barbecue at home? Um, it depends. in In the winter months, I like to at least two or three times a day. Uh, two or three uh, times? times a day, times a week. <laughs> Poonam, sorry, <laughs> it's Friday. I was like, wow, you really are obsessed. <laughs> Two or three times a week, uh, and and I have uh, I am obsessed. So I, I do have different barbecues. You know, I, I have one that's pretty quick and easy to light, um, and then I have a, a charcoal one that takes a bit longer. And I have the one that you know when I have a lot of people over, it's easy. And yeah, so yeah, and, and I do I do like it because for you know there's no reason for me to be switching on the pan, um, you know, getting a lot of dishes dirty and things like that. That's what I, can I just, do, you yeah. Know, yeah, you, we need you to come to yours it. once a week for a barbecue. Let's do it. <laughs> so, but, but I just want people to get a bit of a background about you because I know about you. You weren't actually a cook or a chef or anything. You just went, no. studied as, what was your background? No, both my partner and I, both at Carney Store, are both engineers, actually. I was an engineer. I was working in uh, construction projects. Uh, that that was it, and I and I really didn't like it. Did you it. say I don't want to do this? I just want to make barbecues. I mean. Yes, <laughs> really? yeah, yeah, basically. And and it was it, even back in the states. I remember just you know coming home from work and and just that that idea of you know having a beverage in my hand and grilling something that was that was just joy to me. It was therapeutic. But, it was but let me ask you: when yeah. you went, mom, dad, I'm just going to give this up and be, make barbecues. Did they think yeah. what? Yeah, yeah, they're like what. <laughs> What? Why did you do this engineering thing? Like, what for? And you've been, you yeah. know, you started this career. What are you doing? It, it was everyone. It was. It wasn't just my parents. It was just everyone around. It just seemed to be like, really, you're going to be a, a butcher. When yeah. It's like, no, I'm going to be a, a business person. I, I want to create. I, I can't. I want to create and offer the meat that I'm looking for here in this industry in, in the UAE. I want to be able to offer it. So when you talk about the meat that you're offering and you're looking for, where does your meat come from? So it comes from different places around the world, uh, again, depending on seasonality, depending on, pro we specify at Carney Store, we specify a specific program, right? So there's, there are specific, um, let's say facets that we look for around the breeding program, around the genetics, around the feed, yeah. right? And then around animal welfare, sustainability, regenerative farming, things like that. So when we find, you can find a lot of these programs or not a lot, but some of these programs are found in South America. Um, you find them in New Zealand. You even find them in Russia and, and other places around the world that you wouldn't expect to find them. But we don't source based on just the country. We source based on their that specific microclimate and how they're they're treating their animals. And um, what what is the best kind of meat to eat? You know, you hear grass fed animals. This kind of 
grain, bread? It really depends on what you're going for. If if you're going for health, mm. strictly health and environmental awareness, then yes, grass-fed definitely, and grass-fed oh. from a regenerative, uh, you know, preferably from a regenerative program, which is carbon neutral. Right, because then the the these these animals they graze right, and then they fertilize the soil, and that is part of what's called soil carbon sequestration. Basically,、mm-hmm. the soil when it grows back the grasslands, it sucks all the the carbon emissions、nice. that they produce. So it's so it's actually it's a very neutral, and it's the way we've always done things. It's ancestral, right? I mean, we've we've been there's evidence to say we've been eating meat for over two hundred thousand years, and that's how that's how it always was. You know, there there were these just、uh, you know you have what's called a ruminant or these herbivores、yeah. that. Fertilize the soil, and and their numbers don't get out of control because they are they are consumed at the end of the day. Um, you know when you go to the supermarket or you look online and it says it's organic meat, what should we be looking for? Is it actually organic in a lot、um, of the supermarkets? It's it's a very loaded question that you're asking right now, Karen, because、uh, I, I, you know I'm going to get you into trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I can't say that it's not or it is, but what what we try to do is. I can talk about us. When we source, we source in the spirit of organic or in the spirit of natural.、Mm. Uh, I don't like the word organic because it has become、uh, very political in a way. The way that you, that, that you become organic certified,、uh, and it's not necessarily the most natural feed. So, to, to give you an example, the natural feed of a chicken is insects and seeds. Right, most people don't know that, and 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 you see this organic chicken, and on the package it says vegetarian fed. Right or all all vegetarian feed and and it's these grains that they've given them organic grains right but that's not its natural diet that's not the best chicken that you can be consuming so、um, again it is it is a bit of buzzword、um, I don't necessarily like it very much、mm. but yeah I, I I do like that the public these days are asking more and more questions、mm. like not just taking things at face value like what does this mean right yeah、uh, is it the best option for me or not yeah. Okay, well, we're going to be back with Dan because I saw an article recently from the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization saying plant-based foods are less healthy than a diet of meat, eggs, and milk. And I thought, who is the best person to talk to about this? And I thought, Dan. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8 with Spinneys. Eat well, live well. So Dan from Carney Store is with me, and I bought him in especially for this study that I found from the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization, which said that plant-based foods are less healthy than a diet of meat, eggs, and milk. And I know he's so passionate about this. What do you think about this, Dan? Do you agree? Well, I, I would say that a diet of meat, fish, and eggs needs to incorporate plant foods. Like definitely, I would say that yes, a, a, a diet that is just plant foods and doesn't incorporate any of those elements would need、um, substantial supplementation to be healthy. Yeah, because it says like animal sources are great for like、um, nutrients such as protein, fats, carbs, iron, calcium, and zinc. So. I know a lot of people who are vegan or vegetarian、um, that having to take supplements to make up for this because you must have to eat a lot of different types of vegetables in a big portion to get those nutrients if you're not eating meat. Is well, that correct? Let's let's differentiate between vegan and vegetarian. Okay. Because if you're if you're a vegetarian who eats eggs, you you you're good.、Okay. I mean, if you eat eggs on a regular basis, eggs are、uh, considered a perfect food. They have all nine essential. Amino acids necessary to to sustain life. Yeah. Right. And I know in, in the past, up until the nineties, they they talked about cholesterol a lot. But oh they, yeah, totally. You know, they discovered that that was it was just a myth. Yeah,、right? I know. It, it had no had no no effect on it. And、um, it is important those what you said about the nutrients that that you need the iron, riboflavin, niacin, all the Bs essentially, and on all the essential aminos. Yeah. If if you are not If you're not eating any animal protein, you're also not eating eggs or dairy of、yeah. any sort. Then yes, it is very difficult. I can only think of、uh, you know breast milk that that would get you your you know your、wow. some of your B12s and th- it would be very difficult for you、um, to get all the nutrients, the macronutrients, the micronutrients that you need. How much meat would you say do we need to get to eat a week to get a good source of nutrients per week? It's it's very difficult to say, and it depends. 
Like, uh, from would person. you eat meat every single day? I mean, is that? I a do. Good... I do eat meat every single day. Yeah. You see, you, okay. So let's talk about this. I met a doctor once, and she said we should all be eating according to which culture and nationality we come from and country, what our ancestors ate, because it's part of our digestion system. So for me, eating raw sushi isn't going to suit my body, even though it does, because I like, eat it all the <laughs> time. You love it. Yeah, because yeah, I love <laughs> it. Um, and there's something about it that makes sense, but. Um, I mean, I don't know. When my mum was growing up, she said we only had meat um, on special occasions because it was expensive. Now it's mass produced. So obviously you can find cheaper meat. It's not mm. good quality. Mm. But should we be eating it every day if it's not good quality as well? Yeah, I, I, I can't speak to that. Again, it is it is a necessity. You you see people in very poor nations, right? In, in South America, there's there are examples of people who can only afford rice and beans. So what do they do? They use animal fat. Uh, basically um, a lard or a tallow to put in their rice and beans to make up the calories and to get the nutrients that they need, right? And they do that on a daily basis. So are they eating not necessarily meat, but they are having animal fat every day to make up the nutrients that they need? Um, No, I'm not going to say you need meat every, every day to be healthy. Absolutely not. But it is important, I think, to, you know, once every few years, get, get tested and see what you're deficient in, especially if you're feeling lethargic you know Mm. are are you feeling lethargic during your day or are you feeling energetic listen to your body right and if there's something wrong there's something chronically wrong if you're having leaky gut uh, gastro issues if if you're constantly tired or feel like you you could be anemic right go get some blood work done and see what's missing you you could be low in iron you know it's it's a 52 percent of vegetarians vegans are are chronically low in iron Right. Wow. So it's, it's, it's something that you need to get tested. You might not be one of these people, mm. but if, if, if you are struggling, I would say go get that tested. There's also something you said um, when we were off air about high margin foods and long shelf life foods. Tell me about that. Right. So I think we, we were talking about um, we were more talking about what the industry is, is recommending to us as, as healthy. And it all started, I mean, back in the days of Eisenhower, um, there was this, uh, they had this mandate to make foods cheaper, accessible to the lower class as yeah. well. So at that time, I think they decided to subsidize uh, wheat, uh, palm fruits, uh, sugar, and basically create foods on the shelf that are very high shelf life and very cheap to make. And bad for us. Yes, yes. Yeah. Very, very, very bad for us. They're full of empty calories. Um, and these are still in ingredients on the shelves. They're in and they're very actually deceptive. You you can see a box of cereal with a nice, you know, healthy looking wreath of, of wheat on it or whatever. And, and the more they try on this box to make it seem like it's healthy, the less healthy that it is. And yeah. I think it's important and more and more people are doing this is actually taking whatever box they're about to buy, flipping it over, looking at the ingredients and, and just seeing. I mean, if, if you're seeing a bunch of uh, chemicals and, and preservatives and mm. things you don't know how to pronounce and then one of the first ingredients on there is sugar or some sort of syrup. Yeah, you need to you need to avoid that. That's poison. Yeah, and finally, um, bone broth is a big thing, and I know it's something that you sell. Mm. Um, is it very good for us? It is very why very good. It's it's high in collagen, right? Yeah. Um, it's high in iron. It's it's very healthy for our bones. Yeah, very healthy for our bones. It's also the, the, there's there are big fads nowadays, including people people who are into more ancestral diets or, or lower carb diets, right? That they're, mm. they're more into a ketogenic or a paleo or a Whole30 or, or one of those kind of natural whole foods diets. And that kind of helps us satiate us. It, it, it's high in, high in fat and high in collagen, so it yeah. keeps us full. And it provides us with the nutrients that we need. So it's, it's the best of all worlds. I know, because um, I, I think I'm going to get some, because I remember you sold that, and I, want, I do want to try it. And I got your, you know, you got the sauces at the event, and we got the the herbs that you put on yeah, the chicken. The I still use it to this day. <laughs> oh, I use great. it on my salmon. Yeah. I use it on my chicken. So it was amazing. So tell everybody where they can find you if they want to come and check out some of the things that you store there. Yeah, so uh, www.carnystore.com. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I will and recommend it. The meat is amazing. And if you go there, he even gives you a free coffee and some great food. Yes, promise. Well, that's a well, promise. Well, he did to me, but I don't know if it's so <laughs> open to everyone. Well, now, now that you've just uh, advertised it to everyone, it is for everyone. Just walk Welcome. in. Yeah. He loves food and he loves uh, giving people food. Thank you so much, Dan. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. What would you put 
on the table for the coronation buffet because it is that big event tomorrow, the coronation of King Charles and Queen Camilla. We've been getting texts in. Estrelle said she'd have strawberry and ginger trifle. Very posh. Susan's got a great list. Uh, Volivants. I think loads of people don't know what volivants are. It's kind of a little British pastry thing with stuffing. Prawn cocktails, cucumber sandwiches, strawberry jam. And obviously, you have to get those scones in. Do tell me uh, what you would want on your buffet for the coronation. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Well, it's time to get Tiffany Eslick back on from Spinneys because she's been wandering around Italy. She's always on a plane, always going somewhere. And this time she's been cheese tasting. Is that right, Tiff? Well, yes. Uh, one aspect of the trip was cheese t- tasting. Um, oh, but I don't even want to know what the other aspect was. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> this is Italy. Anything can happen. Exactly. <laughs> no, it was a wonderful two-week trip, um, and I'm very, very grateful for the travel. It's lovely to go meet all our suppliers around the world. Um, you know, you're always meeting such interesting people who have these fabulous stories to tell mm-hmm. on how their great-great-grandfathers started the companies, and they're always so proud. And um, I think what I saw in Italy was just this absolute focus on quality. You know, we visited our olive oil suppliers, balsamic vinegar, uh, company pasta, canned tomatoes, and of course our hard and soft Italian cheese producers. And everybody was focused on quality, um, and that was really good to see. And let's just tell everybody, this isn't something that you just do for fun. This is because you are sourcing products for Spinneys, is that right? Yes, indeed. I mean, there is an element of fun. Yeah. Oh, but, yes. Um, it sounds very taxing. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so for and our Spinneys food brand, um, you know, we source products from around the world from really top quality suppliers. And it's we want to bring the stories from those people to our customers so people know where the food is coming from and know the people behind it. Um, it's really important. But, you know, before you go on trips like this, do you do your research and think, right, I know I'm going to work with these people and collaborate with this company or do you just sometimes try your luck and then come across things? No, so it's a lot of research. A lot of planning goes into it. It's all kind of tied into what we want to focus on. You know, um, like I said, for Italy, we know that we source a lot of great products. So we thought, right, how can we drive all our content around this? And so that's why the magazine, for example, is the entire issue is the Italian edition. Um, and then there's like lots of meeting with all the category managers and the suppliers like over Teams and Zoom and planning the trips and then our video and photography crew. And, oh, it's a huge, huge uh, mission, but it's a lot of, I enjoy doing it. So it gives me lots of energy. So before we delve into what's happening in the magazine this month, let's start with this Italian trip. First of all, how long were you there for? Two weeks, you said? Two weeks. Um, yeah, oh. we had a lot to cover. So I literally did like the grand tour of Italy. Um, so where, we did, you, where to, did you start? So uh, we started in uh, Emilia-Romagna province. So Modena and Parma and Bologna. Mm. Um, and from there, we sourced the hard cheeses and balsamic vinegar. Then we moved to Torino and it was quite a long drive on a, a, after a very long day of shooting. But, um, and that's where our pasta company called Pasta Baruto is based. Um, so we did a whole lot of pasta there. Then we flew to Napoli and we did the south. And so we went to La Doria. Uh, that's where we get our canned tomatoes from and, and like our passata. And then we went to Basso there in this tiny village called Avellino. I probably would never have gone to Avellino otherwise in my life, but I'm glad I did. Um, and then they have farms in the Puglia region. So we, we went to one of their farms as well, which was wonderful because I've never been to Puglia. Mm, amazing. I've been to Puglia. They've got those beautiful mm. little pointed little trulies. Is that right? Yes, that's what I want to see. I didn't get to see those. Oh. Uh, I, yeah, I, would, I really want to go back. We actually, we, our bedroom was a truly. We were staying in a yoga oh, retreat. Cool. Yeah, oh, it was very cool. And they use it, I think, originally for um, cattle, if I'm correct. Back in the day, yeah, there was there was a. I know there's a farming link. I I, I don't know if it is cattle, but yes, I, I do remember yeah. that. Yeah, no, Italy is probably one of my favourite countries. It's just beautiful. So let let's start with the cheese. Um, Zanetti, is it Zanetti mm. cheese? Is that what it's called? Yes. So Zanetti is a company. At the moment, there's they've got their fourth and fifth generation family members running it. So, I mean, it's been around for, I think it was more than a century. And um, they started with hard cheeses, uh, like a huge range. We get, we bring in a lot under the Spinney's food brand. 
a lot of Grana Padano and Parmigiano Reggiano. Um, we've also got a Pecorino. And then they also now have um, soft cheeses as well. So, you know, your ricotta, mascarpone, that, that sort of thing. Um, we decided on this trip just to focus on hard cheese because all their soft cheeses in the south. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so we met with Paolo Zanetti. He's... Um, really you know uh, he's the managing director of the company and then Rodolfo his cousin who looks after the Grana Padano production and it was really lovely like they you know being taught about the family history like um, Paolo remembers like growing up like he lived in the factory was like where their home was and so he would you know, mix with the workers as a child and play football with them and, like, run through the maturation rooms. Wasn't allowed to touch anything, of course. But, um, you know, just hearing those stories are always so lovely. So tell me about the the production room, the salting chambers, and how the cheese is processed there. Was it quite mind-blowing to see that? It is. You know, um, basically, so I'll focus on... There's a lot of similarities um, between Grana Padano and Parmigiano Reggiano in terms of the making of the cheese, but then great differences as well. Um, so essentially, you you know, they with you go into this production room where there's these large copper vats, and everything is very run by time. So there's these clocks and buzzers going off because it's the precision in these in the making of the cheeses in both cheeses is is really important. Mm. Um, the difference with so Grana Padano is made only with raw milk. Whereas Parmigiano Reggiano, they mix in 50% of partly skimmed milk, and that's collected in the evening before mm-hmm. the day of production. It's separated from its cream, and then it's blended with full milk, fresh milk in the morning. So we saw those two differences going on within the vats. Then, you know, you've got, there's a lot of kind of humidity in the room, and they, cause they're heating milk, and they're watching when is the right time to, like, cut the curd. So you'll see, like, the cheesemaker come and check the milk, you know, puts his hand into like this hot milk and checks the texture then he once you put the renitin then he cuts the curd and they use these like old school things called spinners and it's like a giant um whisk if you will um and so that was really cool to see and then and then you just yeah you watch it and they scoop up you know once the curds all like been cut and separated they scoop it up using these cloths like two people will come and um like linen cloths and watching it is like art you know and it's so quick and then they cut the cheese into two and then you've got your two wheels so basically every vat is making two wheels of cheese at a time um so that's that's the production room in a very quick overview (laughs) um and then we they both go into like um sort of like molding rooms right and so for both for grana padano and parmigiano reggiano they're both governed by consortiums so they have to have specific stamps on their rinds and and codes and all sorts of things so you see that going into the mold um then you see people turning the cheese and they explain the process that you know it's then turned immediately and then it's turned like two days afterwards and then it gets eventually gets into this huge salting room which is it's something. It's coming out of a movie. You know, you go in and there's all these little uh, areas of water, and underneath are all these like hundreds of wheels of cheese. Mm. And they, so they would lift them up to show us them, and you know they just sort of emerge out of the water, um, like a shelf of cheese. From there, that's, I think it's about 20 days in there, and then it gets moved into the maturation room, um, or these warehouses, they're not rooms, and there you can have anything from 30,000 to 50,000 to 80,000 wheels of cheese. Oh, my so goodness. It's like towers, you know, it's all, it's cool and quite, you know, well, like dimly lit, but then they can turn on lights, can be quite dramatic. Um, and, you know, I think it was in the Grana Padana maturation room, which just immediately showed me like their attention to quality. They knew we were going to be shooting. So they made sure that they turned every single wheel in the direction that we could see the fire stamp from the consortium yeah. stating that this was Grana Padano. So it just looks amazing on camera. You know, you've got all these logos neatly lined up. Um, and that's really important with the, this, the stamp of, um, you know, approval from the consortium. So Grana Padano can only be called that after nine months of maturation. Mm. And for Parmigiano Reggiano, it's a minimum of 12 months. Um, so that's, that was interesting to learn as well. It's a pure science. You know, I haven't eaten cheese for one month. I'll tell you why. I'll oh, tell, why would I'll you do t- that to yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I never thought it could happen, but it's happened. I'll tell you after the break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back with <laughs> Tiffany very shortly. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well.
I'm back with Tiffany from Spinney's and we are talking about her trip around Italy where she was tasting cheese. Now, um, Tiff, I said before the break that I haven't had cheddar cheese for like a month. Now, that's never happened to me my entire life. (laughs) I never never thought it could. Um, But I was like doing portion sizes and just changing up my diet and my craving Mm -hmm. for cheese went, which is really, really bizarre. But now you're talking about it. I'm not sure. I think it's coming back slowly but surely. <laughs> Did you Good, because I don't think you should cut this <laughs> no, out. I, look, I can give up a lot of things, but not cheese. Is there anything <laughs> from that trip that you learned and you thought, wow, I had no clue about that when it came to cheese. That blew, just blew you away. Oh, my gosh. I mean, yeah, I, I don't even think I can list everything that I learned. It's, you, yeah, it's, I think definitely the the strict controls I've always known that consortiums you know to guard the traditions of and the history and the heritage of the cheeses or the any product mm-hmm. there's often like rules and regulations and just understanding that and the importance of it was you know I learned quite a lot about that um tasting as well um I I always like to hear from different producers you know I, I have been to other cheese production units before whether it's been in France or one in Italy as well and it's always nice just to hear from the person who's making it, like their perception of what the cheese should taste like in doing those tastings. So that's mm-hmm. always good. Um, but yeah, I mean, for cheese, uh, yeah, everything, olive oils, um, balsamic, it was mine, all of it was mine. And how much uh, cheese did you come back with? That's what I want to know. Do you have any leftover? <laughs> Let's put it this way, I had to buy extra luggage. Oh my goodness, I can't <laughs> yeah. believe, you know, if, if they last long, are you not going to drop any, drop off any for me and Helen at the studio next time? Yeah, I think I will, I will <laughs> share some. Um, I, I might just do a big Italian feast for the last these food products. And, and I know I, that, I, yeah, she, Tiff, <laughs> Tiffany's a very good cook, so I hear, so it should be good. So let's talk about Nourish Magazine. What's, what mm. is, obviously it's dedicated to Italy, so what are we going to find in there? What kind of recipes? Wow. So, um, you know, well, Caitlin, who's our in-house recipe developer and tester, and um, she is actually married to an Italian. He's from Sicily. Mm. So I can promise you that every single recipe, I mean, everything goes through thorough checks and testing every time, but this has just got an extra layer. Mm. Um, everything's really authentic. Actually, their little kid who's adorable, Alessandro, he's in our little cooks feature. We did a whole thing on um, working with tomato and, and food for kids. So oh. like pizza-based sauces, pasta, um, and all sorts of things. And so look out for that. Um, we've got, you know, everything. There's a great feature on um it's called Viva uh, Sicilia. And so basically in Sicily, um, much of, you know, that's famous for food. And that's somewhere I haven't been yet, actually, and I really want to go. But much of its sort of history, it, it owes to its culinary culture to Arabia. So ah. and there's, we've got a really great piece on the history of that and, you know, how rice, chickpeas, saffron, aubergines, yeah. granita, uh, durum wheat for pasta, how that all came to Italy and that region um, from Arabia. So definitely look out for that. Um, then, I mean, we've got a lovely thing on, you know how breakfast in Italy is always just like a really nice sweet pastry and a shot of good coffee. So we've yeah. got a, a nice breakfast feature. There's something with um, Italian food sayings. Um, so that's quite cool. And we sort of treated it like old Italian, the, the photography is all like old food art. Um, so paintings of still lives of food and we sort of gave it that feel. Um, and then if you're desperate for food, Italian food immediately, there's a lot of where you can get an Italian fix locally. So we caught up with Michelle and Bill Johnson of Pitfire and did a shoot there and learned how to make a whole bunch of pizzas and meatballs and Michelle's apple pie, which is not Italian, but we threw that in. Um, and there's a restaurant roundup of really great places to go. And Helen uh, has got her column where she talks about great family, really casual spots for the family to go and enjoy a good Italian meal. Oh, nice. That's really good. So uh, we've been asking everybody with the coronation on tomorrow, what would they have on a coronation buffet if they had to make one and what would be on their table? Is there anything that stands Mm. out for you when it comes to, you know, those British foods? (laughs) Yeah, so you know, I lived in England for two and a half years. So, um, on fish and I chips. A bit of <laughs> um, I I really like things like cheese and pickle sandwiches. I do love nice. buns with jam and cream. I switch it up. I don't. I never know actually if it's the cream should go first and then the jam or the other way around. So yeah. I just you know whatever mood I'm in, I do that. Um, just all those adorable little sandwiches, like cucumber sandwiches, you know, with no crusts. Um, I would have that. Um, a Victoria sponge cake. 
for sure. Well, what about what, um, what do you think of this quiche that they've come up with, King Charles and Queen Camilla? I tasted the quiche. We had it made yeah. here. Yeah. I didn't like it. I thought it was really bland, and I hated the tarragon in it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think quiche. I do like quiche. Me but too. They, it can go so wrong. It has to be perfectly seasoned. Mm. You know, your mixture, and you've got to have enough interesting. I think like top, or you know, things inside or toppings. Yeah. Um, yeah, but often quiche is so disappointing. So, yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was a bit bland for me. And I'm Indian, so I'd probably put a green chili in my quiche because that's what we do. Let's <laughs> <laughs> try that. I know. So uh, yeah. my, my friend is on the hunt for scones. Any recommendation? Because uh, she said the Dubai is going coronation crazy and she's trying to prepare some food for tomorrow. Please. <laughs> yeah. <Or> waitress. <laughs> exactly. Those two recommendations. All right, Tiff, I hope you have a lovely weekend. Thank you so much for joining us as usual. You too, and enjoy the coronation. Thank you. <laughs>